Hello and welcome to Creatives on Speed, where we talk to creative thinkers, makers and doers about their live work and inspirations. And I'm delighted to have on today Paul Middleton, who's an amazing art director who I've had the pleasure of working with before. How are you doing, Paul? Yeah, I'm doing very well, thank you very much. And thank you for, in for introducing me onto the show. Uh, a couple of things before we get going, if it's all right. Yeah, go ahead. I want to say thank you ever so much for J.R. Oates Art, for the piece of new creative that you sent me. It's all part of your new Instagram art at home, making the best use of lockdown. And also uh, for your being shortlisted for Women in Marketing. Well, that's very kind of you, you little flatter you. Um <laughs> I'll make sure I did my research. You did. Like, oh, and I think charm is a good good place to start, actually, <laughs> as you're a very charming person. And I do think that relationships are very important in any creative industry you work in. Um, and I'm going to throw back at you, actually, and say thank you to you, because when I first went freelance, you were the person I um, like sort of, you know, looked up to, really, because you had lots of really great insights in how to you know, reach out to people and connect with people and just really gave me a lot of motivation and really a lot of help in terms of like getting out there and just sort of, you know, just doing it anyway and not being afraid. So thank you for that. Well, no, you're very welcome. And, you know, I think if we're going to be passing on thanks to people. <laughs> Can we do this all day, shall we? <laughs> we'll just pass it on forwards. I think the person who gave me the inspiration for that approach to going out there was actually Dave Trock because when I first yeah. came to London I came down with no network no writer no real insight in how to get into the industry just a head full of ideas and optimism and he's one of the first people I sent an email to which for the time it was at GGT and I thought what's the possibility of this guy who's running a multi-million pound agency responding to all my emails and he did and I actually still have it and he just wrote a list of things that you could do, you know, regular, daily, small actions that consistently, if you did, would get you a job in marketing. So if, I, if I've benefited from that and you've benefited from that, I think we owe him a drink. We do owe him a drink. Let's, uh, let's talk about Dave Trock because not everyone watching will know who he is. So Dave is a, you know, he's a bit of a advertising legend. Yeah, essentially the reason I reached out to him more than anything else is the fact that if I look at my childhood, he produced most of my favourite ads. So you're going, who better is there to actually send an email to? And not just an inflammatory, you know, blah, 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 help me out, whatever. Just a very sincere email that said, you know what, I grew up watching your ads. You know, he did that Ariston and on and on and on which is incredible. Hello, Tosh got a Toshiba. And I think he also worked with a guy called James, no, John Webster, Kiora mm. Adora. So, yeah. You know, all my childhood ads, I absolutely adored growing up. So when I sat down writing the email, I just wrote, these are all the things that have helped me on my path to where I am. Would you be able to help? That was as simple as that. And bless him, he did. And for that, he was always going to be a fan. Yeah, and he's also written some fantastic books. Um, yeah, I think the best yeah. probably, well, they're all good. You know, there's one plus one equals three. I think predatory thinking is probably the best one. Mm. Just for kind of its disrupt, disruptive place in the market. You know, it's looking at problems from upstream rather than just downstream where everyone else is. And I think from that you create 
stronger ideas and ones with great cut through like his his stuff from the 80s and 90s really yeah so that's let's go back there again so you talk about being inspired by ads on tv but what other sort of creative things were you doing when you were growing up i remember really vividly living when in doncaster and in maastricht being called into the house when the tv ads were on so i never used to come in and watch the tv because it was crap i'd run into the house watch the tv ads sing the tv ads run out because <laughs> <laughs> it's just like there's no point you know you think yeah. The things I grew up with was like, you've got Ariston, you've got Cornetto ads, you've got Cinzano Bianco with Joan Collins and Leonard Rossiter. You've got the like, oh, was it a finger of fudge? just enough to give. You had that. You had club, Club Biscuit. And, you know, even like one of the classics, like Scotch, I'm going to tell you how it's going to be. Yeah. Skellington. And you go, they were such iconic pieces of work. Yeah. Watching everyday TV was just a waste of time because you go, I'm not going to learn anything from that because these were insightful, really smart, quick-witted. And to me, it was just an insight into how oh, creativity could work. And when I was really small, because we'd mo moved around a lot, creativity was a lot of ways. It was like my happy place. Yeah. I'd get home every day from school. And if I was in Holland, I'd go to the... Uh, the library in RAF Afcent, walk through the door, I'd be given a massive roll of paper, a load of pens, and I would sit there for hours from like half three till six, night after night. And that went on even to like 15, 16, mm. drawing every day. Because to me, that was just my happy place where I enjoyed creating worlds and stories. Not for the output of anyone else, other than just the fact that I just enjoyed it. Yeah, pure, the pure joy of it as well, you know. Yeah. And I think I think that really comes across with you um, having worked with you when you're creating stuff is that you know you still you've still got that sense of joy about it. I think if you have that intrinsic love, that's it's something that can't be faked. You either have that energy, that passion, that enthusiasm for it, or you don't. And to me, because it's got such strong anchors in my childhood and my development, it was always it's always the thing that was purest and warmest to my heart so in order to do it it's like it's kind of funny when you're thinking of the prep for this right what could I actually tell that might be insightful or useful or just quite comical and I remember two stories of my childhood which kind of put me in the path of advertising the first one was when I was six and I was living in Holland and I did an ad for sun-made raisins and I it's it was triggered by you saying do you want to do this and it was I heard it through the grapevine and I did all these little characters out of great like raisins and drew arms and legs on them and just did a little storyboard in junior school amazing and that was just like oh this is fun and it went down really well you know I was obviously crap at everything else in school but that went down really well and then the other story was when I was at you know when you hit like 15 and 16 and you have a career interview yeah I, would, I was sat down and was told I'd, I'd be best as a travel agent, which was quite comical because I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm not sure. Well, I've lived in Holland and I lived in Doncaster. It doesn't exactly make me, you know, Alan Wicker. <laughs> yeah. But even that, within the second day of that, I was bored. So I started doing flyers. So I got letterheads and started doing, I asked the woman who was running the uh, travel agent, I said, what's your promotion the next, this month? And they said, oh, uh, Disney World. So I drew up all these flyers for Disney World with like 5% off of this flyer. I showed it to her, said, uh, what happens if you run this? And this is like 15, 16. And she went, yeah, all right. 
So she sent me across the road with a fiver to do a load of photocopies and then to distribute it. And I got the, I got the copies for nothing because one of my mates owned the news agent. Yeah. Trousered three quid, <laughs> the other two quid out, <laughs> other two quid to my paper boyfriends and said, can you distribute these for me? So I just sat in the park eating Cornettos while everyone else was working hard. So and creator, distributor, doing the media <laughs> as well, you know. <laughs> But actually, the, the ironic thing was, they got two bookings off the back end of it. Wow. So Amazing. Like, why did it take me so long to get into this industry? Because I've absolutely adored it from such a young age. <laughs> You're so natural. So, yeah, I mean, when you were starting out, um, you didn't go straight into sort of being an art director and agencies. You sort of did a bit of a squiggly path, a bit like myself. Um, so talk to us a bit more about that. Well, I... When I finished art college, I didn't really know what to do. So I thought, I'm quite kind of technical minded. So I thought I'll become a graphic designer. So I did that for about six years. And I pretty much pushed that as far as I could go creatively in terms of I wanted to do more idea wise. It was more functional design stuff, which is fine. And it's a good skill set to learn. But I was like, no, there's ideas. I love ideas. I love ideas. So I applied to Falmouth to do the art course. The, the advertising course, uh, got on that, went and did that, uh, came to London for the first time, lasted about seven months, absolutely dreadful portfolio. It was absolutely hideous. I think I've still got it somewhere, but it's a shocker. And <laughs> me, me and my writer were clueless, no strategy, no real, no good strategic thinking, no real plan of what agency we were gonna get into or no ambition of what success looked at. So we got kind of kicked round the park and got sent home like naughty kids. So I got pushed back to the Midlands for a year where I kind of got all the books out. I bought like the copy book. I bought John Hegarty's books. I bought Ogilvy's books. I bought Howard Gossage books. And I read and read and read. I thought, right, I'm going to go back into London. But in order to do this, I can't make myself look a plum. And I want to go informed. So I'd got all the bit from Dave Trot about what you should do, how you should do it. So I started then looking at the agencies I wanted to apply and get into and just followed that path, which surprisingly worked. So I guess I am another bit. <laughs> <laughs> His bear pound's going up quite extremely. Yeah, I know. He's going to be going to be waiting at the bar for you when we're yeah. <laughs> um, But yeah, so then you, so what was the first agency you started working at then as an art yeah, director? Yeah, it was uh, an agency called WPN, which is Watson, was Watson Phillips Norman, now Watson Phillips Norman Chameleon. And yeah. I only got in there by accident because I'd gone to see Martin Lifko at uh, AIS, which is Archibald Ingle Stratton, and yeah. he's a director. And he was busy that day. So one of his friends said, oh, I'll go and visit Giles at WPN and walked in the door and he said, I really love your work come and meet a creative director who for about six months I'd had no hope in getting there and then a week later I got a job I was like amazing that's cool and so when you think about then and to now and how much you've learned and how much experience you have well look well the sort of like key things that you think you would have loved to have known at the beginning that you know now like I think it's just the continual development that you need to push yourself through and actually make sure that you've got a plan for growing yourself as well as the agency because I think sometimes it's so exciting and so new when you get in you get so consumed with just doing you kind of lose track of where's the next step you know and I think I threw everything into the three and a half four years I was there 
But if I'm looking back at it, I thought, well, there are key points in this that had been missed in terms of my development, which if I'd have played a more active part on, I could have probably pushed them into doing. Uh, so, yeah, and also the fact that I think that consistently you need to grow your own knowledge base. You know, you can never sit, you know, you know, this is yourself and what all the stuff you're constantly doing is you've got to keep evolving. You've got to keep up to speed with things. You've got to keep growing your knowledge base. You've got to keep learning. And I think if you do that, you keep your energy and passion for what you do alive. And well, you're more inspirational to be around and then the caliber of what you produce is better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think that's what always really shocks me is when you meet people who have been in the industry, ad industry, creative industries for a long time, and that's their job. And they've did they've only done that job. And you ask them what else they do, and there's they sometimes very little because that's all they've done. And they yeah. kind of it's sort of like their learning stopped with that job. And that, you know, I think having other creative outlets apart from like the one thing that you do that pays the bills or whatever it is, is so important because it's yeah. going to feed in so many inspiring things. Well, I think it's that idea of keeping growing. And I want to mean mm. growing and not saying that everything has to stick within the remit of direct marketing or CRM or digital marketing. You know, it could be learning the bass guitar. It could be being a stand up comedian. It could be writing a screenplay. It could be teaching is you've got to keep your mind growing in as many different areas as possible and even if it's the fact of going to see things traditionally you wouldn't think you'd like I think it's important to feed your brain with those things because that's the way you keep fresh and keep your eyes innovative otherwise you, there's a tendency to go stale really quickly because mm. you're drawing from the same pool all the time if you're not kind of going out and learning new things and then then that's when I think you just become a creative of formula over a creative of ideas so i think that's so true i think that's so true i mean one of the big things you've um you know embarked on over the last sort of i don't know five years is yeah. is taking part in the camino so yeah. tell for those who don't know what the camino is explain explain what it is yeah it's essentially if you want to put a religious hat on it's a christian pilgrimage but you can swerve that when it comes to me. I essentially, it's a walk I'd heard about 10, 15 years ago through my uncle who's a monk. And it was always kind of in the back of my mind that I wouldn't mind doing it someday, but as everything, you need a catalyst to act, you know, like a character in a, in a film or a book. And the catalyst for me was one of my mates died in Kabul about eight, seven, eight years ago. He, you know, he went over there as a bomb disposable expert. So you know how that's going to play out ultimately. And we'd grown up together running Duke of Edinburgh expeditions in North Wales. So I thought what a better way is a final send off and something he could enjoy himself is by doing the walk. And it is, it's a 799 kilometer walk across the width of Spain. So you go over the Pyrenees, through all the regions of Spain, Navarra, Rioja, Galicia, and end up in Santiago de Compostela. It's phenomenal, it's the best thing I've ever done. And you've done it in sections, haven't you? And that's a kind yeah. of a normal way to, like, well, one of the ways you can do it. That's right. Yeah, I think just due to the constraints of work that taking six weeks off, which when you think about it now, is quite would have been quite <laughs> easy to do. But back at the time, it wasn't possible. And I think by breaking it into three different stories, you capture 
three significant points of time in my life, which are all dramatically different, which work well to the idea of writing a book on. And that's pretty much what I spent the last couple of years doing, which is looking at the development, the storylines and the production of this. And I've done loads of research in terms of the books are out there in the marketplace, Facebook groups, asking questions and stuff. And the one thing that I always used to love as a kid was like those half an hour TV shows, you know, like Champion the Wonder Horse, uh, Monkey. Yeah. Or, or probably my favourite was Kung Fu with David Carradine. Yeah. And I thought, wouldn't that be cool to write the book as one big journey, but 34 separate little stories? Yeah. But within, you know, I don't want to say overarching because that's such a marketing word, but a theme running through it yeah. ties it all together. So that's what I've done. And I've absolutely loved it. And so far I've used a few old copywriting friends from like Neil French and stuff to test it on. And they all seem to like it. So, yeah. Well, the bits, the bits I've read and you, you share little snippets on social media, don't you, are, 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 are really intriguing and really, really good to read. So um, I can't wait to see well, when know, it comes out. I think it's one of those things creatively. It's The end goal is just the production of something that I can look back on and say, yeah, that's the spirit of it. That's the essence. Yeah, yeah. It's just sort of so the process is just a, it's a completion and it's just a... Oh, like you know I've got something I'm proud of you know yeah. and I've been quite fortunate that I've shared quite a lot of the early stuff with people who've walked it and I said you know does this resonate with where you were at that time space in terms of your levels of anxiousness or were you when your levels of exhaustion or just the pure joy of being alive and just having creative ideas run at you and they're like yeah this kind of encapsulates it so that kind of gives you the energy to keep going because you go my audience understand it and if, even if they don't necessarily tap into the story from their own perspective, it, it'll fire off their own memories and you go, that's job done. Yeah, exactly. What do you think the Camino has taught you about yourself and also about creativity? I think the main one is that what it's taught me about creativity is the fact that we live now in a world of distraction, you know, in terms of, was it 1500 messages you may see a day uh, everyone touches their phone every 12 minutes. And I think Mimseta, which is like the desert part of Spain, teaches you that the fact that if you really want to connect with yourself with creative ideas, you need solace and silence. And I think if you read Robin Sharma's 5am club, there's, there's a reason why creativity always comes to you at unexpected times. And when is that? And if you look at the patterns of why that happens, it's predominantly always in a quiet place always a place free of distraction and there's always some kind of trigger whether it's exercise whether it's running that kind of is the catalyst to it and I think one thing the thing I've learned most more than anything is the process of how I switch my brain into an expectant mode of doing good work you know same way like Rafa Nadal accesses his best mindset or Serena Williams does you know there's a sequence your brain runs which you may not be aware of that puts you in that headspace and to perform and that could be I remember you saying one of the techniques you use is actually using music yeah definitely so that's one part of your sequence and that's that's a whole other hour I could talk about that <laughs> it's, 
it's working out the sequence that puts you in the mindset to deliver work of the best quality. And to me, silence is the number one because it allows the noise of your idea to come through, not the noise of everyday life. Yeah. Which is why, to me, open plan offices where there's music pumping out seems to be counterintuitive to how creativity is. But I understand that creatives, as much as they fear the white page, they fear the silence of not having an idea. So that's why music sometimes used. And also, you know, it just shows you that everybody's brain works completely differently as yeah. well. The, 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 we, we all need different inputs and that ultimately create different outputs, you know. So I think that's what's so great about creativity is it's not like a one size fits all do this yeah. and this works for you. Yeah. It's like, try this, see yeah. if it works for you. If it doesn't, fine, bin it, do something else, yeah. you know. Paul, I could talk to you all day uh, about creativity, among many other things. Um, but it's been fantastic to talk to you. So looking forward to um, hearing more about the book. Does it have a title yet? Oh God, yeah, it's had its title since day one. So it's Slow Down Pilgrim. So it's kind of contrary to modern day life. Yeah, and um, if people want to find you, find out more about you, follow your journey, um, yeah. and the Camino journey, but of course, um, where can they find you? Yeah, well, you've got email. It's paulmiddletonltd, as in limited, at gmail.com. Instagram, it's slowdownpilgrim. And web address is paulmiddletonltd, or dot, all one word, dot com. Um, Paul, been fantastic to speak to you. Um, have a great, great day, evening. The light's been going down as we've been talking. Oh, so yeah. uh, sort of, the, the night is drawing in, so I'll let you go and enjoy oh, your evening. It's been wonderful. Thank you for so much for your time. Take care, my love. Take care. Right. Bye. Bye. Bye.